Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? If you're on a PCOS healing journey and you've been focused mostly on nutrition and food, I want you to take a listen to today's episode. My guest is Laurence Anez, and she's a holistic nutritionist coaching women how to ditch cystic acne, irregular cycles, and stubborn belly fat using nutrition, lifestyle, and mostly mindset changes, which is what we're going to talk about in today's interview. Laurent's mission is to show women that they can take control of their health and thrive with PCOS, which is sometimes hard to believe given all the obstacles and all the hardships that women with PCOS do face when it comes to their emotional, physical, and mental health. So we're going to talk about Laurence's own journey with PCOS healing, how she started figuring out what's going to work for her body, how she's using nutrition and lifestyle changes to manage her PCOS, and mostly how she's working on her mindset and her inner self to grow as a person and to help her stay motivated and focused on this journey. And these are, of course, all things that she's also helping her clients do in her one-on-one coaching program. So I want you to pay close attention to how Laurence talks about mindset and inner work. Maybe you want to take some notes while you're listening, and I hope that you find this valuable. So without any further ado, let's get into my interview with Laurence Anez. Hey, Laurence. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So how are you doing during these crazy times right now? I am good. I've actually been better than usual. It's been a crazy roller coaster ride, but just focusing on my personal growth, I think has really helped me get through these crazy times because I'm focusing more on like the inner, I guess, healing and not really focusing everything on the external. So yeah, Yeah. that helps a lot, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we get sucked into focusing on the wrong stuff sometimes. So I think that's a really good way to, to handle it. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on today. You and I connected on Instagram and you're doing a lot of work with women with PCOS, coaching them, helping them with nutrition. And I know that you have your own PCOS uh, journey story kind of with healing, with your diagnosis. So why don't we get started with that? And you can tell us a little bit about when you got diagnosed, what was going on in your life at that time, and how did you get started with healing? Mm. Yes. So (laughs) it is quite a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, But for me, there were a lot of different signs coming up. Um, For instance, you know, I had a really late period. Everybody else got their period um, before me. And I think I got mine around 15 or 16. Um, I was kind of thrilled because it freaked me out, to be honest. Um, But this definitely was not normal um, because it was later. Um, I had acne, really bad skin, and that just stayed with me. And a whole bunch of different things which showed up um, in a bigger way when I had this sort of emotional trauma. I usually see a big trigger sort of trigger the symptoms around PCOS. For me, it was an emotional trauma. Um, And that's just where everything just blew up in my face at once. And that just went down this whole road of trying to manage these symptoms and being really frustrated and feeling defeated and broken. And that was around age 19. Then I believe around age 21 or 22, that's when I finally realized I had PCOS. So I saw a doctor, got a diagnosis with the test, the ultrasounds, the symptoms all lined up. It all made sense. Um, And from there, I don't really remember a very um, sort of detailed exactly what I did from learning when I had PCOS. I just remember that I felt very, again, defeated and confused and broken. And all I could remember was my doctor saying, you know, 
good luck having kids. It's going to be a little bit difficult, even though I've never really been one to want to start a family, at least early. That really hit me. And I think as a woman, we can all kind of relate to that in terms of that's kind of what we're here to do, whether you do want to have kids or not. That's what, you know, the female body is supposed to do. And when you're told that you probably might not be able to have kids or maybe you'll need help, it is a blow, right? So for me, it was already like, oh, wow, okay, my body is like broken. It's not working properly and just wasn't given answers, um, which is usually the conventional approach, just kind of like take this pill. Um, I had taken birth control for about two or three years. And then I saw a naturopath and she was like, if you want to balance your hormones, you have to get off this birth control. So I listened to her, did it. And from there, it's been a crazy journey of learning by myself, seeing different practitioners, um, trying different modalities, nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, spiritual healing, emotional healing, all of this sort of thing. And yeah, it's been a crazy ride. But from there, it's really been an amazing journey to learn more about myself, my body and PCOS and learn how to really manage it for lifelong management and reverse the symptoms as I go along. Have you heard about of PCOS before you were diagnosed, before your doctor told you about it? Yeah, it was interesting because I heard PCOS and people were kind of mentioning it. And it was actually pretty interesting because I heard even my doctors say like, oh, it could be PCOS, like, but they never really did anything about it because I think I'm a lean PCOS. So it wasn't really like high on the radar, you know, because if I was overweight, then it would have been more of an urgent issue, but I'm more of this lean PCOS type. So I think that's also why nobody really made it that urgent. And for me, I had heard so many negative things about PCOS that I just didn't want to even know if I had it. Yeah. I was in denial until I was finally like, okay, let's figure this out. Let's see what this is. And for me now, I understand that education is really key because when we know what's going on, then we can actually do something about it. If we don't, then this is just kind of like burying your head in the sand and pretending nothing's happening, but then you still feel like crap and you don't do anything about it, right? So... Yeah, you're probably building up more emotional baggage around it where you could get started with working on it, kind of unpacking what's going on with you emotionally, which is a huge impact on hormones. So, 100%. So, it sounds like things got almost worse before they got better for you initially. Would you say that's mm. true after you were diagnosed? Yeah, definitely. And it was interesting because we'll probably talk about this, but when I did go to nutrition school because I, I started changing my diet. Um, I had to take a lot of foods out of my diet because my gut was a mess. Um, and this is where I developed disordered eating and emotional eating patterns because I was so afraid of food at this point. That And this is very common. I see this happen with a lot of women, especially PCOS women. So then I literally started to go down the whole of binge eating and all of the emotional eating, which is obviously going to mess up the whole hormonal picture even more. So for me, it was never linear. Healing is never linear, but it's always up and down. Even today, sometimes I might have like an acne flare up or something happened. And then I'm like, oh, we always have to look at what's going on. Right. Yeah. And then we can manage it better. Um, but yeah, for sure it was, it was a shit show at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it always, I mean, it's almost like a necessary step in order for someone to truly heal. I really do believe they need to hit some sort of a low point or some mm. sort of a realization about how many things are actually not working. There are a lot more things that are not going to work than the things that are going to work. Mm. And, you know, it takes time. So were you trying kind of like an off the shelf diet in the beginning, something that was, you know, labeled in some sort of way or, or were you trying to do a mix of your own? Um, for me with my herbalist, cause my herbalist helped me a lot with the gut issues. Like I had candida overgrowth, parasites, leaky gut, food sensitivities, everything I ate, I would react to. So we obviously had to remove a lot of those foods, eggs, things like that, um, gluten, dairy. Um, and obviously I was going towards more of a whole food approach. So like, you know, getting away from the processed foods, junk foods, um, but then when I went to nutrition school, I started to become interested in the diets and obviously with PCOS, we're all talking about diets, keto diet in particular, low carb, that kind of thing, paleo. Um, we were required to follow certain diets for like a week or two for nutrition school as well. Um, but for me, I really got sucked into the idea of it's all about nutrition. That's where the answer is. 
if I'm still not healing, that's because I'm eating something bad or I'm not eating something that I should be eating. And it just became a very toxic mindset that I developed because I started to see food as good or bad. And I started to get really defeated because I was doing all the right things, but I still wasn't feeling better. So yeah, I really kind of dipped my toe into a lot of different diets. I didn't really follow them long term. I would kind of cycle in and out. Um, But that's when I really realized the nutrition school and when I hit another very low point was that it wasn't all about the food. And that was only one piece of the puzzle that I could, um, obviously I needed to focus on, but this is why now I'm so adamant about educating people, especially my clients about this, because we all think that it's in the next diet where we're going to find the answer, but it's not, I guarantee you, it's not all about the food. And for most of us, um, it's, I mean, it's only a small piece of the puzzle. So we do, we really have to remember that. Yeah. It's so true. I think you and I are very similar in that we 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 go there. We talk about mindset because it's so very important. It doesn't really matter what someone's goal is. If your head's not in the right place, you're going to go nowhere. Like you're just not going to make meaningful progress. It may seem like you're doing something, but it's not going to last. And like you said, you're going to cycle through all the shit before you realize I-, I need to work on myself first. Like I need to understand why am I doing this? How am I feeling? What is my relationship with food? What's my relationship with myself? You know, and, you know, because if you're going to be losing weight, getting your period back, doing whatever it is that you're going to do, and you're still in a state of self-loathing and criticizing yourself and, and being judgmental, that's not going to be a fun place to live with, right? To be at. Mm. Like, <laughs> So how did you start working on mindset? Like what were some of the things, if someone's listening right now and they know they need to work on that, but they have no clue how to start, like what could someone be doing? What did you do mm. to start working on that kind of a, the aspect of it from a mindset perspective? Ah, so when did my mindset journey start? Well, as I mentioned, when I was going through the emotional disordered eating, Um, at one point I thought I could get through this by myself and there was a lot of shame and guilt because as a soon to be nutritionist, I was kind of asking myself, how can I be a nutritionist and help people if I can't even control myself around food? Like that was a big shame and a lot of guilt that I held within myself. And for me, I was like, I got to figure this out. I got to, I'll do it. I can do this. And every day it was like, okay, damn it. I binged tomorrow and get to restrict again. And it's fine if we follow this rule or we have this or we do this. It was always like these strategies that I would try to make up or these rules. And for anybody who has dealt with this, it's just trying to control the situation because you are out of control with the food, right? So it never works though. <laughs> Every time it would not work. So it just went on and on and on for years until I finally one day just broke down and I Googled um, you know, some support in my area and I met up with this um, counselor who was also a nutritionist, but specialized in disordered eating, emotional eating, binge eating. And I saw her for at least, I think, a year or two. And that was really the beginning. It was really having the courage to ask for help and just being able to talk about this and work through it. And that's where I really started to realize, oh, it has nothing to do with the food. It has everything to do with, obviously, my inner being. Um, the lack of self-worth, the lack of self-love, lack of fulfillment, all those types of things that came up. So realization, really awareness is the first step because if we are, the first step is really becoming conscious about our decisions and what's going on, what we're doing. And that's really what we need to start with because if we don't know that we have a problem or we're dealing with certain things, then we can't change it, right? So the first step is to really know about it. And then you're able to sort of like make these choices and take action. But for me, it was also um, interesting because I read, have you read the book, The Untethered Soul? No. Highly recommend. But he talks about um, how we have basically a voice in our head that's not our own voice. And this I found to to be a profound um, realization to get through the sort of binge eating and even if I have my own triggers come up or my own self-sabotage that comes up. Um, Because when we think about it, we have this voice that is constantly talking in our head. We have like 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are negative. Most of them are the same ones we had from the day before and the day before and the day before. 
And we are constantly giving into this voice and we're listening to it. And it's just like inner bully that's just very mean and negative. And until we realize that it's actually not our voice, it can literally just drive the show and create basically these same toxic patterns in our life. So for me, that was profound because when I realized that there was a voice in my head that wasn't actually me, I started to have a conversation with it. So it can sound a little bit weird, but even if you have a conversation internally or just talking out loud, um, you can start to talk with it. And it's almost like having a different perspective and you're looking at it from an outside perspective. So that was really helpful for me because I realized that I was the one listening to the voice, but I wasn't the voice. Mm-hmm. And through meditation, this really helped as well. Um, different practices like deep breathing that I do on a daily basis. Um, and this is what I work on with my clients as well. Like at the beginning, they're like journaling, meditation, deep breathing. This stuff is like woo woo. Like, why are you getting me to do this? And then at the end of our time together, they're like, oh my God, I can't not do this. It's life changing. And it's just getting your thoughts out on paper is also really helpful because then we can actually start to release it and start to work through it. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different practices, but I think really the first step is awareness and really, you know, voicing what we're experiencing, putting it on paper, talking to the voice in our head, all those types of things um, can kind of help get us, um, I guess, more in tune with ourselves and our bodies and just more conscious of our thoughts and our actions on a daily basis. And you do this now too, like you continue, this is a lifelong process for you, right? This is lifelong. That's the thing that it's never, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to have perfect health, perfect mindset, um, perfect career. There's always going to be something else that we're aiming for. There's always going to be stuff that comes up. We're going to be unraveling stuff. And for me, if I don't do this on a daily basis, I don't feel my best. And I know that it's part of my self-care. So that's why I'm so strict with it. And that's why I feel great usually on a daily basis because I'm so um, adamant about that. It's kind of like if we decide to eat healthy for, I don't know, a year and we get our PCOS under control or whatever, and then we decide to go back to McDonald's, the damage is going to come back, right? So we really have to upkeep it. It's always about the sustainable changes. Yeah. And I think what you just said is really true. Like even if you manage binging, if you reach some of the goals that you had initially, you're going to want to continue to develop and grow as a person. So you can use these same Mm -hmm. strategies for the next level and the next level after that. Like it's not something that loses power. It always will be powerful. You just have to keep upping the ante, so to speak, on what you're looking to accomplish or do. So Mm. these things should continue to work for anybody in any situation. 100%. It's not just health. It's also, do you want to up-level in your relationships, in your career, in your business? We all want to do better, right? So Yeah. And I know you shared your, I hope you don't mind me asking this, your morning ritual on, well, I know you don't because you shared it on Instagram. So... (laughs) I probably did. (laughs) (laughs) So will you share, like, what do you do every single day as far as your morning routine? Mm. What are those things? So it will change. But right now what I do is I wake up and I usually listen to either like um, personal development, YouTube video or podcast, or I go straight into breathwork meditation. Kind of depends. Um, and then I do yoga. I find that yoga in the morning really is amazing for helping stimulate digestion, get the blood flowing, like kind of get you more energized, waking up. Um, it's also a great way, as I talked about um, the voice in your head, sort of the ego voice. It's also a great way to kind of help you combat that voice because when you're in a stand, in a pose or you're holding um, you know, a really difficult stance or whatever it is, and your voice, you'll hear it. It'll be like, stop, this is uncomfortable. I want to go eat now or whatever. And you literally just have to fight it and breathe through it. And you then get to realize that, oh, I'm actually stronger than I think and I can override this voice. So that I've also found to be really helpful, not just for my physical health, but also my mental health. Yoga in the morning has been really great. Um, And then I have breakfast and I usually read a book. It's again, usually going to be focused on personal development. I like to start my day on a positive note with people who are inspiring, empowering, motivating. And then I basically just start my day there. So usually it's about an hour, an hour and a half of this routine with my breakfast. And then I get into my day. Nice. I like it. So cool. All right. So 
Let's move into talking a little bit about nutrition. So you, you mentioned mm. your breakfast. I know that you're a holistic nutritionist and I want you to tell us a little bit about your philosophy as far as nutrition for PCOS. What do you do? What do you recommend for your clients? What does it all look like for you? Mm. Yeah, so for me, I really stay away from labels and diets because I talked about my history with disorder eating and PCOS women are actually shown to be um, significantly at a higher risk for binge eating and you know emotional eating, disorder eating behaviors than those without PCOS. Um, specifically, if you're overweight, but also lean PCOS women have been shown to have a higher risk. Um, and obviously my own experience, I can confirm this. So this is where I really get away from like the dieting mentality and the calories in, calories out, um, first of all, because it's not a sustainable approach. And second of all, we don't want to go down that route. Um, so for me, it's really focusing on, I think quality is really the number one thing because when we're looking at the numbers, okay, it does matter to a certain extent how much you eat if you're eating too little or too much. But I think we're almost too focused on the numbers and not enough on the quality. So for me, it's really about focusing on I have a few certain things like quality protein, healthy fats, and fiber should be on your plate. So I always tell my clients, you know, do you have all three of those on your plate? That means it's a balanced meal. That's pretty good. Um, and then I always like to stress the importance of, you know, lower glycemic foods. So getting away from the refined carbohydrates, the refined sugars, these are going to be very um, detrimental for PCOS women, especially due to that insulin spiking effect. Um, antioxidant rich foods are going to be so important, um, due to the increased oxidative stress and inflammation in the body with PCOS. So berries, um, leafy greens, all of the bright colored, vibrant, rich plant foods are going to be super, super high in antioxidants. Cacao is one as well. I love when people um, hear about this because they're like, oh yes, I can have dark chocolate because it can actually be healthy. <laughs> um, yeah. Herbs and spices are also great um, to help increase the antioxidants as well. So those are sort of some things I like to focus on. And then when it comes to, you know, why I focused on these things is because there are certain underlying imbalances and foundations that we need to address with PCOS. So for instance, dysbiosis, a big issue with PCOS women. So are we actually feeding the microbiome? So this is where I focus on, you know, are you getting enough fiber? Because most of us aren't getting enough at all. Um, and when you say dysbiosis, you mean the gut. So for anybody who doesn't know what that is, mm -hmm the gut is basically imbalanced, right? Yeah. So there's some either pathogens that are overgrown and are causing issues. Maybe absorption is not really great. Um, how would someone know that? Like, how did you come to realize that you had this? Did you have testing done or was it more mm. symptom-based? Yeah, so for dysbiosis, it's been shown across the board that PCOS women have a lack of diversity of good microbes in the gut. So first of all, we're already at you know, an increased predisposition. Um, for me, I was bloating after every meal. Like I literally looked pregnant. I had to unbutton my pants, like no joke. Um, that's a big sign of like candida or, you know, parasites, things like that. Um, so for me, it was pretty obvious. I got a test with my herbalist and we found parasites and candida overgrowth and food sensitivities. If you're reacting to a lot of foods, that's also a big indicator that you're dealing with intestinal permeability. So basically the lining of your gut is permeable and the, and foods basically can get into the bloodstream, create a reaction. Um, and if you do have intestinal permeability, then there's a very high risk, pretty much guaranteed that you have dysbiosis and some you know gut bugs that are becoming overgrown in the gut. Um, obviously, you can do testing for things like you know H. pylori, um, SIBO, parasites, candida, all that types of thing. I usually do recommend doing some testing just because it's pretty common for somebody not to have anything nowadays. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously there's a lot you can do without testing, but at a certain point you will probably hit a plateau and that's where you will want to investigate. So that's what I usually recommend. If you do any sort of testing, I usually recommend gut because it all starts there, right? So yeah, testing is really important and then symptom-wise as well. Okay. So going back to the diet, how do you work with women now to help them find the right balance? Because a lot of women, you know, it could be a big change for someone to eat in this way that you described. Mm. Um, so if someone's not quite there yet, like how do you help them find the right approach? 
Yeah. So it's going to be very individualized for each person. Of course, um, I kind of meet them where they're at. And then we obviously establish, you know, like, are you the type of person who wants to jump all in cold Turkey or you want to like, you know, go slowly. Obviously I respect that for everybody and I want to make it really sustainable. So for me, I think it's really important to address, you know, what are the foods that we need to kind of crowd out. So obviously the inflammatory fats, the oils, the refined carbohydrates, the refined sugars, the processed foods, junk food, like all of that across the board, like we just, it's not going to help us. It's an obstacle. Um, But for me, I prefer to look at, you know, what can you include? What can you crowd onto your plate? And in that sense, people are actually nourishing themselves. They're feeling satisfied. They are actually eating more because it's interesting. Actually, one of my clients um, told me today, She's like, oh yeah, it looks like I'm actually having bigger portions of food. And I was like, that's normal because whole foods actually, you can eat more of them, but they're less caloric dense versus fast food, which is higher in calories, but you actually can't eat that much of it, which is cool because we don't have to be like constantly freaking out about calories because usually when you're eating a whole foods diet with lots of plants involved, you usually can't overeat. Like it's very fulling. Um, you know, it really helps fill you up. Yeah. So that's the really good part about it. So yeah, I really like to focus on crowding out the bad foods and looking at what we can have. And so for instance, if somebody is, you know, um, getting off of gluten or dairy for different reasons, I like to focus on, you know, what can you have instead? So I have all of these recipes for my clients. So for instance, if they want to have comfort food recipes or treats or things like that. Let's find a better alternative. So like, I don't know, black bean brownies or like pumpkin mac and cheese, things like that. Like they all exist. And there's literally nothing that my clients have ever asked me for that I have not been able to give them, which is so satisfying because they know that if they want something, they can make it healthier. So I really try to focus on, you know, how do we make this sustainable and enjoyable for you? And actually focus on what you can have instead of being like, oh, you can't have all of this. Boo-hoo, right. this sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think women end up thinking about food less when they eat in this way because they're more fulfilled. They're more satisfied. They're not constantly thinking about what, you know, they don't have as many cravings. So they're not constantly preoccupied with food, which is a very freeing thing. Like it's very mm. liberating to not have to constantly be thinking about food and that's also a huge sign that someone's hormones are coming into balance. So I I totally agree. And I have to say, if you're using your own recipes, your food does look good when you post it. So those recipes (laughs) look very, very good. Well, it's funny because I used to be very elaborate and get really creative in the kitchen, do all these crazy recipes. And now I'm just so lazy that I do like the quickest meals ever, but it's still not excuse. Like I still eat healthy. I still make sure that it's, it's, you know, fueling me and it's also yummy because if it's not enjoyable, what's the point, right? Right. Yeah. I think that's a big misconception that healthy foods take longer to prepare or they're, mm. they're you know, more expensive. I think they are slightly more expensive in some cases, but there mm. are ways that you could get creative and not have to spend a fortune or be a chef to create those meals. So 100%. 100%. Because yeah. otherwise I definitely would not be doing it. Right. <laughs> All right. So we talked a little bit about how diet can help bring hormones into balance. How can women learn more about hormones, their cycle, mm. um, you know, what's going on with with their hormones throughout the month and things like that? Yeah. So for me, um, as I told you, I was on birth control and then got off of it and started to address all of these changes. Um And it wasn't until a few years ago that I started to get really interested in hormone fluctuations and kind of looking at, you know, how they change during the month and how I can kind of understand what's happening. So I believe last year I hired a coach for the fertility awareness method because I was looking to understand more of it for my health and also contraceptive measures. Um, so that was really eye opening because I think a lot of us, I do hear from a lot of women who are tracking their period, just putting the date in. And then they're telling me, you know, well, I ovulated, um, because I got my period and the app told me, and it kind of makes me cringe because this is a method that's kind of like guesswork and it's not really telling you anything. So we need to remember that our body changes 
I mean, daily, but on a month to month basis, our cycle will never be the same. So for instance, if we ovulate or have a, you know, a certain type of period this month, next month, it could be totally different. You could have ovulation that could be later or earlier. You could have a heavier period. You could have PMS. Like it's always going to be changing. So we can't predict it on a month to month basis in advance. So for me, um, understanding that was just mind blowing <laughs> um, because this is where we start to understand body signs to actually determine are you ovulating and have you ovulated? So that's where we really need to be careful. Um, especially if you are trying to conceive or avoid pregnancy, um, you can't use the calendar method or the rhythm rhythm method, which is just tracking your period, um, because this is just guesswork. And this is where the myth around ovulation on day 14 is a myth, because we don't all ovulate on day 14, <laughs> right? So we need to remember that. Um, so for me, yeah, I really learned about this and it was life-changing because not only does it help you understand when you're fertile, when you're not, but then it can also give you more of an insight into your own hormonal picture in terms of hormone fluctuations, um, you know, what might be going on here, stress, thyroid issues, things like that. So how do you recommend women figure out if they're ovulating? Do they track, you know, their symptoms or in they're using mm. um, a thermometer? Like what are the things that you usually go by? Yeah. So for me, I learned the Justice method, which looks at cervical mucus production and basal body temperature. You can add cervical position, but I just don't usually do this because it's just another thing and it's not mandatory. Um, but these are kind of the three things to predict and then confirm ovulation. So for instance, with cervical mucus, this is only going to predict ovulation. We can't confirm it. But this is good to know if you um, are observing cervical mucus. It can get complex, but basically um, the most fertile types are the sort of wet, creamy, and egg white cervical mucus that we'll notice in our underwear. And this usually means that we our body is trying to ovulate. So this is the time where it's it's good to... Um, you know, have sex if you're trying to conceive. And if you're not, definitely <laughs> avoid or have a barrier method. Um, and this is, so this is basically just an indicator of, okay, your body is trying to um, ovulate. This can be a little bit erratic though, in terms of PCOS, because um, for PCOS women, a lot of the time we're trying to ovulate multiple times. Um, and so this can kind of show up as erratic patterns of cervical mucus, and it's not always... Um, straightforward. So it can be longer uh, periods of cervical mucus too. That's what I had uh, specifically when I started using this, which was really frustrating because it wasn't like the normal pattern. Mm -hmm. um, so this is basically just uh, a way of predicting ovulation when you're getting towards the main event. Mm -hmm. Then if you want to confirm it, we really no need to look at basal body temperature. So this is when we're using a basal body thermometer and we're taking it every day at the same time in the morning um, before you start moving. So you can either take it orally, you can take it under the armpit. That's usually like the two methods. You can also take it vaginally if you want to as well. Um, and you basically just chart. So there are different methods to use this. I use the thermometer app because it syncs to my phone and it just charts it. Um, a lot of, some people do draw it, but most people are just, you know, using technology nowadays because it's a lot easier. Um, and once you start to do this for two to three cycles or more, you will start to see a pattern at the beginning. It's not going to look like anything, but then once you start to do it more and more, you should have lower temperatures at the beginning of your cycle and it should start to increase after ovulation. So in order to confirm ovulation, we need to have three consecutive higher temperatures than the previous six. So you should have three high temperatures that are going to be higher than the last six, and that would confirm ovulation. And obviously, we need to make sure that these are normal. So for instance, if you're traveling, if you're stressed, you're really, really stressed out, if you're going through a trauma or um, you are sick or something, and you have high temperatures because of that, that's where you want to be careful and keep tracking because this could be a false positive. So you obviously want to be mindful, but this is interesting because I've noticed if I am traveling, if I'm drinking, things like that, my temperature will shift. And it's kind of interesting because you kind of see how your body is reacting to these sorts of things. So it can also show you, you know, overall health as well. Okay. 
So that would be the temperature. Um, and it does become pretty obvious when you do see that temperature shift and you start to do this regularly because you will have this incline and then it will stay steady until your period. And then it will start to drop. So for me, I, my period is now like clockwork and it's pretty cool because I will know exactly the day I get it now because it's just so predictable. And also, um, the day before I will see my temperature drop and then I'm like, okay, it's coming tomorrow. And then it always comes the next day, which is pretty cool because then you can kind of tell in advance. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the temperature and the mucus. And then cervical position can also act as a confirmation. Um, basically, the cervix will rise and we will become more soft and open around ovulation. Um, and this you can kind of check, I mean, if you're in the shower or whatever. Um, but most people don't do it just because it's another thing to do. Right. And do you kind of um, eat in accordance with this phase of the cycle that you're in? Or is this something that you help your clients do where changing certain foods or focusing on certain foods in different times of the cycle? Yeah. So cycle syncing, I've loved looking into from like Alyssa Vitti's books and her resources. And it does make sense when you look at, you know, different foods that support progesterone production, different foods that help support, um, you know, the elimination of excess estrogen, helping with ovulation, all of that. So yeah, I've gotten into it a lot more recently. Um, for in, in terms of workouts, I always try to balance that out. And it's also just great to understand because I think a lot of us put a lot of pressure on ourselves every single day, whether we are menstruating, we're ovulating, whatever. But when we understand how our bodies react and how our hormones are fluctuating and how our needs change, then we can actually become more organized and just show up better on a day-to-day basis and be also more forgiving. So for instance, during our menstrual cycle, if you feel like you have an increased appetite, you have increased cravings, you don't feel like going for a run, This is normal. You actually shouldn't be doing most of the stuff that you're doing outside of your menstrual cycle during that time. So now it's funny. um, My boyfriend makes fun of me, but I have these sticky notes on the fridge now with um, each um, phase of the cycle. So for instance, follicular, I'll have all the foods that are like good for that phase on the fridge that I know when I'm grocery shopping okay, I'm in this phase and then I'll just kind of buy those foods and then I just make up recipes for them. Um, so yeah, I've kind of been incorporating it more and I've definitely noticed uh, better periods and more regularity and I try to teach it to my clients as well. Okay. And are your clients finding success with this kind of method? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the person too, because if we're starting off with just the basics, like we're getting rid of the processed foods and, you know, incorporating more whole foods, then we're going to focus more on that. And I don't want to overwhelm them, but then once we start getting the hang of that and they want to learn more about it, then we can definitely incorporate it. But I definitely start pretty much from the beginning, telling them to be more in tune in terms of workouts and stress management throughout the month, because I think that's a big one that a lot of women are just working themselves out, doing spin classes, cardio, all of these like hit trainings. And this is just very bad for female hormones, especially if we're doing it on a continual basis. And you mentioned being self-compassionate, which I think is so important because nobody's perfect. Nobody can, like you said, keep it going for a a streak of 10,000 days in a row. Like we're going to have fluctuations with how well we take care of ourselves. I think that's normal and it's okay. Mm. How do you help women keep it going? Like, how do you help women stay motivated? Understand that, like you said, it's not going to be linear. There's going to be ups and downs and that's okay. That's actually normal. Mm. It's not the time when you jump off. It's the time where you actually keep on the path and keep it going. So how do you help women like step out of on or off mentality with, you know, I'm either in this or I'm not in this, or how do you help women stay motivated and keep consistent with these changes? Yeah. So there's a lot of mindset work that I go into this. Um, and for, I mean, there's so many, so many ways to answer this, but when it comes to making, creating habits, it's really important to understand how do we actually establish habits and how does our brain work? So for instance, when I was talking before about the voice in our head, and also when we're looking at, for instance, you know, cravings or caving into emotional eating, Um, if we are, you know, going into restrictions and things like that, this creates this primal urge to binge. 
And so we really need to be mindful of taking care of ourselves, especially our delicate female bodies, because we have this animal brain that is very difficult to control when it is under stress or, you know, feeling threatened or in emergency mode. So this is where the self-care is really important and understanding, you know, how our brain works. So that I think is really helpful for women because then they understand that, oh, when I take care of myself, then I react differently, right? Um, And then identifying that habits take time and it's a compound effect. So it really starts with a choice when we're making a decision. So this is usually like when somebody wants to sign up for a program, made the choice. Then there's the action that we have to do. Obviously, we have to show up. Um, But then we have to get into a habit of repeating it, right? And this compounds over time. And the more that we do something, the more it becomes habitual because we create these new neural pathways in the brain that become reinforced. And then just this just becomes a habit. So this is where the body starts to go on automatic pilot mode. So this is where, um, so for instance, a lot of people will be like, oh, when I get home, I'm just, I sit on the couch and then my bag, my, my hand just grabs the bag of chips or the wine and I'm in front of the TV. I don't even know how it happens. And this is basically the body that has become um, basically programmed to do this because when you get home, you're triggered, you're stressed, um, you see the TV, turn it on. That means it's time to have the bag of chips. So there's basically a trigger and then there's the behavior that you do and there's a reward. So your body, your brain gets the signal that, oh, this actually feels good. This is helping me. This is soothing me. And then this will basically just initiate that again and again and again. So this is where we really need to understand this mechanism and start to work on the opposite end. So really becoming aware. I usually work with my clients on becoming aware of the trigger. Like what is triggering you in this moment? Because again, that's going to be more of like the root cause of this because we can change something. For instance, I can tell somebody, you know, just, I don't know, eat kale chips or go for a walk instead. But when they're in that trigger moment, they don't want to do that. There's no way in hell that they want to go have kale chips when they could have, I don't know, the cookies or the wine, right? So we really need to evaluate where is this coming from? What is the root? And this is where, again, we need to go back to that awareness. What is going on for that trigger to cue you to behave a certain way? And this is where it's a lot of that mindset inner work that needs to come into play. And that's where we can start to shift um, our behaviors over the long term. But this is where there's a lot of mental work that goes on. Sure. So it's it's very difficult to answer in yeah. like one sentence, but um, it's a lot of the inner work and understanding like what is triggering us to make these unhealthy decisions so that we can actually turn it around and create healthy habits that compound over time and that become effortless and just become automatic. So at this point with, for instance, one of my clients, she told me the other day that she was like, you know, when I started this, I was really nervous because I was like, how am I supposed to not go for the unhealthy food? And how am I supposed to like keep this up? And she told me, you know, now it doesn't even really cross my mind. I just kind of become mindful and I ask myself, do I even want that? And it just becomes so automatic for me now to make these healthy changes that it's, just like normal. It's just normal life for me. So that's really where we want to get at, where it just becomes second nature. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like it's almost counterintuitive because in in the beginning, there's just a lot of observing of your own behavior. Like you're not going to actually be doing a whole lot other than, like you said, understanding why it's happening, observing your own behavior, observing your own thoughts, you know, having that dialogue in your own head. Like those are all things that you have to go through in order Mm. to find relief, right? Yeah. And I think the important thing is I drill this into my clients' brains all the time. They kind of quote it back to me where it's like, you're going to have to feel uncomfortable. Like that's a guarantee. And a lot of the time at the beginning, there can be this struggle and, you know, they're not feeling good or they don't want to do this. But I remind them, like, the uncomfortable feeling is what you want to aim for. That's good. That means you're moving through it. You will get over the hump, but you're guaranteed you have to go through it. So there's no way I tell clients (laughs) always, like, you're going to have to deal. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to deal. You're going to feel a little bit shitty. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. Like, it gets so much better after that. You're going to be so happy you did. Mm -hmm. Every time. All right. That's really good. So I want to talk a little bit more about um, self-sabotage. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we'll wrap up this interview with that because it's so common. Like, I think that a lot of women are trapped in this cycle of self-sabotage and they're not Mm -hmm. really sure how to end it. And it relates back to emotional eating, like directly, right? Do you find that with your clients as well? Yeah, 100%. Usually comes up like that um, where they go for the food that they shouldn't be eating, quote unquote, and then they, you know, beat themselves up and then the whole guilt train starts again. Yeah. So how do you, does that go into the same pattern of just kind of understanding why, you know, is there something more emotional, maybe trauma, maybe some, Mm. um, you know, distorted self-image or perception of, of the person's, you know, qualities. Like we have all these very harsh thoughts about ourselves. I think. Mm. Um, so is, does that usually come from a place of self-judgment do you find? Yeah. I mean, with the self-sabotage, it usually comes down to our beliefs and our self-worth. So for instance, a lot of people, they will say, um, you know, I really want to get healthy. I want to get fit, et cetera. But then they're doing all of the things that are the opposite So they're basically saying something, but they are doing the opposite, right? Um, This happens to a lot of us and we all go through self-sabotage. I still do it too with like business and things like that. Like we all do it. Um, But it's interesting because I find that the most profound work for this with my clients, for them to kind of open up their eyes around this is um, journaling. So I teach my clients that this, and this is what I learned is that self-sabotage is really just a form of self-protection. Because when we look at self-sabotage, we are looking again like, oh, I'm not motivated. I'm, I don't have willpower. I'm like weak. But it really has nothing to do with that because motivation really is weak. We can't count on motivation. Like there's a certain amount of motivation we can have and we can't always be guaranteed that it's going to show up. So <laughs> motivation really has to go out the window. So we have to remember that self-sabotage is really a form of self-protection So instead of beating yourself up over doing these self-sabotaging behaviors, we want to look at why are you doing this in the first place? Because usually it stems from the ego wanting to protect ourselves from something. And that can be, I mean, so many different reasons, but it's usually going to stem back from trauma and childhood, whether that be from schooling or your family or an experience you had, or somebody told you something. And this is a really important time because basically our brains are like sponges. So they soak up everything and we create stories around different experiences. So even if somebody told you, um, I don't know, they denied you something or they told you you're not pretty or you're not good enough, or just even a little insignificant thing, like ignoring a child that can literally create a story in a child's brain and create a belief around that. And that belief sticks with you throughout your life, unless you look at it again. So this is unfortunate in one way because obviously a lot of the things that we happen to us as a child, we can't control. But um, it's interesting to kind of dissect that when we are older because a lot of these self-sabotaging behaviors are coming from these beliefs that we formed when we were little around these different experiences. And this obviously takes a lot of different work and you might have to work with different practitioners. But becoming aware, again, is really the first step. So I like to give my clients different journaling exercises, like, you know, what are these self-sabotaging behaviors? How are they benefiting you? Because a lot of the time we think that, oh, why am I doing this? It's so negative. It's making me feel like crap. It's making me gain weight. But there is a gain. Your ego is gaining something from it. You are gaining something. So a lot of the time it could be, you know... um, Even a sort of self-protection in terms of, I see this a lot with women who have um, issues with weight and they were either abused or, you know, mistreated when they were younger. And this weight is a sort of protection so they don't have to show up in the world or they don't have to be fully, um, yeah, be visible in the world. So it can be different things like that. So it's really looking at, you know, why are you doing this? What is it benefiting you? Um, And then trying to create new beliefs around this. But we usually need to go back and see, you know, where did this even start? What was this experience stemmed from? And a lot of the time it can be interesting because we can see, oh, that was that one instance with that girl who was Stacy 
who I didn't even like. And she told me this thing and I'm making this a belief and it's still affecting me today. You know, usually it's like these stupid stories that come up and that can really help you realize, oh, I've actually been doing this this whole time because of that one instance, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of work that, like you said, feels unpleasant, but once you figure it out and you let go of self-sabotage and you're not you know, consumed by these negative feelings, it's going to serve you for the rest of your life. So it's, oh, 100%. And it's not it's, just health, it's everything. Everything. It's definitely work worth, worth doing. Um, mm-hmm. Laurence, you're a girl after my own heart because you do both the nutrition and the mindset work, which I love. And I think that you're, you know, really helping your clients make the changes that are going to be sustainable, not just the kind of surface stuff. So you're doing the deep stuff, which is really, it's hard work. And I, I know it because, you know, my approach is the same. So I want to commend you for that. And I also want to give you space to share any final thoughts or where people can find you and work with you and learn more about what you do. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I know you totally do the same, like, inner work and it's all about the root imbalances, right? So I applaud you too, because there's just too much misinformation out there and just a lot of negativity. So I really encourage anybody who is dealing with PCOS to really remember that you are your own healer and there is always something you can do. If you're told no, go find somebody who's going to tell you yes. So (laughs) keep going for the yes. And, you know, even if you're going through the mud, it will, you will get to the other side. So just keep going. Um, in terms of where you can find me, Instagram is my favorite place to hang out. So come follow me there. I'm always, you know, sharing things and having a discussion. And I do have a one-on-one program, which is complete. That looks at, you know, everything we talked about. So if you are looking for more support with that, um, you can always, um, chat with me for more information, but that's also my, on my Instagram too. You can find the link on my page. Awesome. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So people can easily click on it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so happy we got to chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I've found a lot of great insights, strategies, and information in what we discussed today. For more information, please visit the show notes below so you can get all the details, links, and recommendations that were discussed today. And if you like this podcast and what you've heard today, leave a review and subscribe to the show so you never miss when new episodes are out and you also help more people find this information. I'll be here again next week with a new episode. Until then, be well. Bye for now.